it was closing time. But I would have been just happy to keep going if I hadn't noticed. Because I was just like, yeah, I'm getting things done. This is great. I, I'm like in the right place. And that's the thing you got to be trying to do when you're trying to batch things. You want to make sure that it's a continuous motion rather than start-stop, which is so rough. Well, because so rough. It, you know you have the transition time mm-hmm. between yes. two things. Yeah. And so the fewer transitions you have to change your mindset, the more productive you'll be. So, but the problem is you can't batch everything. It's not like you can say, I'm going to check all my emails once a week because people expect responses more often than that. You can't batch Max, everything. Well, well you got to make sure that when you're trying to optimize, you're also allowing some time to care for yourself because as we take care of others, it's important we care for ourselves at the same time. And that's the topic of this week. Welcome to Positive Feedback Loop, the show where we talk about things we find interesting and hope you join us for it. Positive feedback loop. Three, two, one. Today on the show, we have Ray. Hello. And Stephanie. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to have fun today. And as always, your humble co-host, Luis. Welcome to this week's episode of Positive Feedback Loop. Today, we're going to be talking about compassion fatigue, That thing that happens when you care for other people too hard, and eventually, you start hurting yourself. The way that compassion fatigue is identified, it's usually in a setting where an individual has to care for others. Oftentimes, healthcare healthcare professionals, this could include home health aides, it could include family members who have to take care of uh, an elder relative or someone who's disabled in some way, someone who is constantly exposed to people who are going through a hard time. And they, ha- and they are th- either either their duty or something that they do, they do in life requires them to be co- helping these people a lot. It's not just helping people who are having a hard time. It's usually people who are experiencing trauma. And compassion fatigue is like a very vicarious traumatization. It's also known as secondary traumatic stress syndrome. Yes. Uh, the idea is that some of the trauma that the other people are experiencing kind of hopped onto you. You gain like a degree of trauma just from helping other people carry the load of their own issues. And it's not only like medical people. You mentioned like nurses and um, people who take care of their loved ones who are getting older, for instance. But there's also even lawyers and psychologists. These people also, uh, police officers, they also have you know, the ability to have this compassion fatigue because they are dealing with people and working with people who are suffering through a traumatic experience or and they're seeing this on a daily basis. So, you know, it, it's it, it's um, a widespread issue. And it it's absolutely a major issue for a lot of professions, especially the more empathetic ones. And it can result in a lot of really bad things in life. One, you know, uh, Self-medication is a big issue for people who are suffering through um, compassion fatigue. When you are dealing with a lot of stressors, it is easy to turn to drugs, alcohol, you name it. Uh, Any vice that will help take the mind off and take the edge off. It's easy to isolate yourself, to uh, become unnecessarily angry or have, you know, explosive moods. It can lead to a lot of... Uh, hopelessness and depression, anxiety, uh, low self-esteem, difficulty sleeping, all of the fun stuff. The American Institute of Stress distinguishes compassion fatigue from burnout. 
and from primary traumatic stress. I was reading up on this because I didn't know much about compassion fatigue, although, you know, we kind of know about it intuitively or from common sense that you can get tired when you're helping someone cope with their own huge life changes or whatever it is. So as I was reading up on this, compassion fatigue is vicarious trauma. Someone's experiencing trauma and you're there seeing them go through it and helping them with it. And you, by extension, are affected by this huge trauma. But then it distinguishes burnout. I think more people can identify with burnout because working hard, whether or not you have trauma or someone experiencing trauma in your life, overworking yourself uh, tends to be the most common of these. And so people have emotional exhaustion, but it's not trauma related. Burnout is just burning out. But compassion fatigue, it's, or at least some of its symptoms are like burnout where you really just withdraw and you are tired and you cannot cope with normal life. And Luis, like you mentioned, the, the ways to cope with compassion fatigue are also similar to burnout and that you just need to exercise and take time off and, and yeah, you take, gotta take care, care of, of yourself. yourself. It's the classic example of you're on an airplane and it's going down, something bad's happening and the little things come down for the respirator masks. And they always tell you, put it on yourself before you put it on your on the kid next to you. Same rule applies with mental health. Take care of yourself first. You can be taking care of someone else, but just make sure you are taking care of yourself while you're doing it. Right. It's interesting. In, uh, I read an article in 2010 in the Journal of Emergency Nursing. It said, and it's interesting because they separated out burnout versus compassion fatigue. They said that approximately 82% of Emergency nurses had moderate to high levels of burnout, and nearly 86% had moderate to high levels of compassion fatigue. I mean, we all know nursing is a difficult... You have to give a lot in that in that business, in that industry, and it consumes you. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, other people's attention, other people's needs consumes yourself, and you tend to forget about your own needs. Any industry where you are required to show empathy and carry the weight of someone else's suffering, not fully, but even partially, requires an amount of sacrifice. You need to sacrifice a level of comfort in uh, in your life. Because when you are not exposed to suffering on a regular basis, it's easy to forget that it's there, that it exists. And that creates like a nice feeling of safety and comfort that you don't get if you're always seeing the worst things. And it's easy for how people in professions where this is the norm to create walls, whether that's empathy walls where you don't, you try to stop yourself from really empathizing with the patients or your, your relatives or whoever it is that you're taking care of. I mean, there's a reason why the number one sufferers of elder abuse are those who are being abused by their caregivers because it's easy to find to create distance. That means I resent you for making me help you or for or it might just mean I don't I don't want to connect with this patient on the same level because I know it will hurt. And why do I want to keep hurting myself every single day? of every single year where this is my career, that's rough. 
And if it's not your career, if that is someone you live with, because that's your parent, even more so, because it's you're not even getting paid for this. This is not even a job you chose. It's just what fell on you, and you don't feel correct with abandoning your parent or your uh, disabled brother or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. And oftentimes, at the same time, you also have a job on the side. It's it's very difficult. And I used to work in this. I used to be a health care uh, a case manager, and I used to work with older adults. And it's pervasive in this sort of industry. Luis, when you were when you felt that some of your patients or some of the people that you were taking care of were just maybe not appreciating what you did. How did that make you feel? Did that create more of this compassion fatigue? I would imagine that it would, you know? Or did, was that not that if really, people yeah. didn't appreciate the work? I, I didn't really mind that, honestly. Okay. Uh, combative patients or it's just part of the job. And we didn't call them patients where I work. We called them clients, but still, it's just part of the job. And I always got the most difficult cases because I was the one that I, I was one. I was the only male at first. I was the only male working in that office. So they always threw me at the most difficult cases because worst case scenario, I'll get yelled at. Compassion fatigue goes farther where you're you're dealing with someone that doesn't just appreciate you. But as Luis mentioned, there are people who are really combative or they're just treat you awfully. And I in understanding this, I kind of thought about what it means to help people in two scenarios. The first scenario is, let's say you work at a computer store and you're helping somebody restore their backup files. They, maybe their computer crashed, right? Helping them, you still retain a sense of your identity. You still should be treated well enough, even though the, the con- customer is the priority and they matter the most in, in that relationship because you're helping them. There's still this expectation that they treat you respectfully and that they don't scream at you, yell at you, that you shouldn't have to help them after a certain point. But when we're dealing with some of these industries where people are experiencing real trauma, they are expected to be screaming and wailing and crying and not able to cope or treat people Uh, the way a normal person would, I'm talking about the person experiencing the primary trauma, because they're traumatized. And so the secondary person, the helper, is not expecting to be treated civilly like they would if they worked in a computer store fixing somebody's broken computer. So this trauma is passed on to the secondary person. Mother Teresa had written in a plan that it was mandatory for her nuns to take an entire year off, kind of like a sabbatical, if I were to use a metaphor, every four to five years so that they could heal from their caregiving work. This idea that you need a complete break. Dealing with burnout requires, and dealing with compassion fatigue, I think requires this ongoing rest and rejuvenation and meditation and exercise and taking time for yourself and eating well, all of these things that are daily. But because of the effects of compassion fatigue, it may be necessary to take a significant block of time off every few years because the daily routine isn't enough. Because trauma is trauma, and it's not similar to just helping difficult people, for example. Have you guys ever heard of the Green Cross? 
Uh, so I'm it was not. like this, it's a uh, it's called the Green Cross Green Cross Academy of Traumatology, and it was set up uh, after the Oklahoma City bombings. So after that incident, there was a lot of people that were trauma traumatized by the incident, and you know this organization was set up to help educate people around how to deal with victims of traumatic events basically and now it's, it was i was reading about it and they have this whole program where somebody can become a certified instructor and then right now they're also in puerto rico where there's been a pretty pretty bad hurricane that's wiped out a lot of that state's you know it's infrastructure basically so a lot of people there are traumatized so the green cross actually was founded by uh, it was founded by, his name is Ch Dr. Charles Figley, he's a psychology professor. I was just interested about this organization as it compares to like the Red Cross. So you have the Green Cross, they're trying to be the more mental health side of the Red Cross. So that's just something I wanted to let our listeners know that existed. I, I was thinking about what you asked me before, Ray, how I dealt with people who were being difficult. And I think that in general, I didn't mind it as much. I think I had more difficulty. I, I was more drained interacting with and also more, more rewarded at the same time. It's, it's, it's conflicting because I enjoyed working with patients who I liked, people who were uh, not kind, caring, just the loveliest folk. But also I have to keep a level of emotional distance because my job is not to be their friend since a lot of their services may have depended on me and there was a lot of complications i had to try to keep some level of professional distance and that that was particularly difficult with those cases where they were lovely people and it it's hard and then you also see that sometimes terrible things happen to these lovely people and you try to work at helping to stop it but Eventually you're gonna eventually you're gonna lose a lot of lovely people in any industry that deals with, you know, patients who either are dying or are elderly or have any level of conditions or maybe moved for whatever reason. And that can make it tough. I think that's that was much more difficult for me to navigate than angry clients. Angry clients, I think, were more likely for me to give me burnout as like just regular matter of fact. Your job's tough because if you've worked in a call center or any other customer-facing job, you got to deal with difficult people. It's the people, I, I, at least personally, and I can't speak for other professionals in this field because their mileage may vary, their experience may be different, and they may have different things that make it more difficult for them. So I remember that a lot of my coworkers were pretty desensitized. Everyone that had been there for several years was there was a lot of gallows humor, which is very common in situations where there is a lot of uh, emotional burnout, or rather, compassion. Can you can you explain what that is? Basically, a tendency to make fun of just awful, depressing situations. For example, let's say that you have a patient, you have a series of patients who are dying from some condition that it's horrible and everything's really sad about it, and someone will crack a joke about either how sad the situation is or um, the miserable way the, the clients look or something dumb. They'll make fun of something that could be seen as wildly inappropriate in another setting, but in a group surrounded by other people who have compassion fatigue, in, it helps take the edge off. 
but it also minimizes it also kind of like leads to that wall building because it creates a layer of separation between you and those people who are experiencing the worst of the situation yeah i mean a lot of that is can be described as detachment although i think there are other elements in that of that humor not just detachment there's this chart where detachment kind of has a role and it's a chart that charles figley produced he's he's the namesake of the figley institute which is an institute that that helps with these related topics charles figley is like the pro of (laughs) of describing and 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 knowing how to treat compassion fatigue. And so there's this flow chart that he developed, basically, this process where, you know, first the trauma happens. You have this exposure to somebody's suffering in a trauma. And they, you have your, your empathy and your concern, your empathetic, res- empathic response that is initiated. But because it causes stress you can employ detachment, which is what Luis brought up, and also kind of your sense of satisfaction through your job. Those two work together, but you have some residual compassion stress. And compassion stress precedes compassion fatigue. It's like the early signs. It's like when you have stress when you're trying to make a deadline in school, uh, which is not related to compassion stress, it's just stress, (laughs) school stress, but can lead to fatigue if it goes unchecked. And a lot of that is the prolonged exposure to this person's suffering and also traumatic memories. Uh, Maybe you have helped somebody get out of uh, a situation or have helped them work through their own prolonged trauma and you can also experience memories from that. So that results in compassion fatigue which it also happens because of other life demands. You have normal life going on that you have to take care of. You have to take care of your children. You have to take care of your parents. You've got bills to pay. You have a job to keep doing if you want to keep it. <laughs> and so it's interesting to see the different elements that Charles Figley points out are part of what contribute to compassion fatigue. It's not just the exposure to someone's suffering in a prolonged way there are other determinants in the in the formula that results in compassion fatigue i i think that's also really important uh to have this conversation at all and thank you uh steph for bringing all those points because this this is all this is really important and a lot of our listeners may at some point face a decision where they'll have to ask themselves am i suffering from compassion fatigue if you're curious about whether your job or your anything about your life is causing you this level of stress where maybe maybe this is you. You're thinking, you know, or even if you don't think it's you, you want to make sure. There's a test you could do online. It's a self-scored quiz you can take. It's done by researchers that this is their entire uh, focus. It's called the Professional Quality of Life Test. Uh, there's a self-test uh, that you can do online. We'll put the link on the website so you guys can check it out but it's just a simple questionnaire you just fill it out and you score it yourself and it gives you an idea of hey maybe you're not alone maybe people are feeling the same way you are and there are resources out there that maybe you can take advantage of uh thank you for being with us for this first half of positive feedback loop we're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be right back with more amazing conversations with amazing people enjoy You've seen robots take care of the sick, the disabled, and the elderly. 
They've helped save billions of dollars across the healthcare system and provided people with care when and where they really needed it. From daily chores to providing medical treatments, caretaker robots have really changed the world. It's now time for the next generation of robots, patient sick bots. This new line of sick bots allows human medical professionals and caretakers to provide care to artificially intelligent robots. Bots having chest pain? Doctor, for my chest muscles are squeezing and my blood pressure is 178 over 102. Constipation? Doctor, I have severe constipation and cannot use the bathroom. Be the first to heal your sick bot. Thank you for the friendly enema. I feel better. Get yours today at pflpodcast.com. Get yours today at pflpodcast.com. You won't regret it. Welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop. At the top of the podcast, we talked about compassion fatigue and what symptoms people might experience and what that might look like. But now I want to take a moment to step back and get us into the mentality that you could fall into as a result of compassion fatigue. Imagine for a moment you're in your 40s, you've got three kids, you also have a job, you're taking care of them, and you get a phone call. Your father is having difficulty, he's having, he has dementia, and he can't live alone at home anymore. So you invite him to stay with you. You think maybe he'll be, he'll look after the kids for a bit. I know that I'll have to help take care of him too, but you know, it'll, it'll work out somehow. Now, this might be fine for a few months, maybe a year you're managing, but eventually it starts getting much more difficult. His condition's progressing. It is more, much more difficult. You need, he needs a lot more supervision. You're starting to have to spend a lot of resources to hire someone to be there when you're not. You still have the kids that they're having difficulties at school and you have to take care of that. You have your own job. You're just exhausted. But you can't, you can't think of what to do. It's easy to fall into a trap where you start hating or having negative feelings towards your father who it's not his fault he has de- dementia. And you feel bad about having these negative feelings. So what can you do? And that's what we're here to talk about. And it's not even it's not even like having negative feelings towards the person you're caring for. It's also possible or rather very likely that if you're taking care of a person with, you know, your other brothers or sisters or other family members or groups of family members, you might start to, you know, be unhappy with the way others are caring for them. Or maybe one person is putting in most of the work. So there's this unequal treatment being you know, displayed, which might like make you consider, you know, it'll just get you deeper into this compassion fatigue situation. So I just wanted to point that out because that that does happen. There's a lot of family turmoil and the person that actually has uh, the one that's being cared for has, has no say in the matter at all. You know what I mean? So it's kind of an interesting dynamic that can occur. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Kick out your dad? Who has People dementia? do that. People put, yeah, put them in not, nursing homes. People do nursing that. homes are expensive. They are extremely expensive. It just not. It just may not be an option for you. Think about, for example, in New York State. And again, a nursing home is not always the first place you would put someone with dementia. Maybe assisted living or 
heck, if they're well enough, maybe they might even be able to handle independent living, although that's a different thing. And all of these different levels of care have prices associated with them. Nursing homes are very expensive. And I'm talking on the scale of tens of thousands of dollars a month. It's a lot of money, and not everyone can manage it. And if you think, oh, I can pay for it, they'll, maybe they'll, I mean, I think they'll be gone soon, which is a terrible thing to vocalize, but people think it. Never bet against someone's death because I, people are hardier than you can ex- than you expect, and eventually you might see yourself in very financially strapped situation. What so one thing we can't do is judge the decisions people make when they're caring for others because that is absolutely mm-hmm. true. Some Good people point. may judge others for putting people putting their own relatives in nursing homes whereas others think that's actually a a compassionate thing to do for a family member and everyone makes their own choices that are suited to the individuals and their families and so we can never judge and say someone is heartless or they're or they have heart because they've made some certain choice so one thing about caring for others is that it's a very personal choice and often one that the family makes through a lot of thought and meditation and conversations and prayers and whatever they do that ta- that that shows that they they really do care something that can help i think with these situations we find ourselves in where we have to deal with compassion fatigue is resilience and resilience is this ability to adapt one characteristic that we all need because trauma will happen to everyone that's just the human condition and we will also have to care for or have the i guess the great responsibility and blessing to care for someone who has gone through trauma i think it's people who are in an industry where you care for someone it is it if you're a caregiver you will have more of that but every human being cares for another human being at some point in their lives that's just our experience. So one trait that I believe is very important is resilience. And resilience is this ability to adapt to change. And it's really the difference, and I learned this from the Figley Institute in the uh, workbook on compassion fatigue, but it's the difference between seeing yourself as a survivor and a victim. So often if we feel that we're victims, that everything's always, everything bad is always happening to us and we're, and we're always having to take care of people and you know we just have this mindset that that things are always going to be horrible then we are going to suffer much more than we need to but if we see ourselves as survivors and those that we care for as survivors it's a more hopeful way to live and there's more purpose in what we do are you saying are you saying that personality has a lot to do with how one is affected by fatigue or um, you know just compassion fatigue or stress actually rather is the right word to say here well when you see yourself as a victim when you see yourself as a victim you're not willing to care for other people because you're thinking i gotta take care of myself right but if you see yourself right. as a survivor, as, as someone who's blessed in this life, like, wow, I've got a great life, then you're more able, capable and willing to help other people. 
So, it's so not I think just what's happening about... is a lot of people are seeing themselves as survivors and they want to be able to help other people and they're tough and they're able to go through a lot of stress and still be okay and be resilient. And that push towards surviving continuously and taking on other people's problems, that might be leading to more, you know, you know, taking on more stress and leading to compassion fatigue. So that I see what you're saying. Yeah, there are I good defense mechanisms that, and there are bad defense mechanisms, as George Valiant yeah. puts it. That that if you use, we, you need to use defense mechanisms when there's trauma involved. But if you are unhealthy about it, you're not going to be able to care for yourself or for others. Something that I also learned from the Figley Institute is this idea of post-traumatic growth. That trauma and secondary trauma can actually improve your life. It's not like once you've had trauma, you're a broken person or you're, you're less capable than an, another person who hasn't had trauma. Trauma can actually promote your growth as a human being. Uh, that Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun in 1995 introduced the idea of post-traumatic growth. And they talk about how survivors of trauma actually report five areas that are good and it's improvements in their relationships, a greater appreciation for life, new opportunities or pathways in life, meaning they, they find new hobbies or new things they want to do. They have a greater sense of personal strength because they've survived the trauma and they've coped with the crisis and even spiritual changes like a closeness to God, uh, a, a purpose and meaning in the universe. So the idea that there is, that trauma is a bad thing is, fallacious it's not true trauma can actually promote growth if we see ourselves as survivors yeah definitely and the way that you approach problems has a big impact on how what the outcome is um and having a defeatist attitude is one of the worst ways to approach the problem of compassion fatigue and if you have and that's the other thing one of the things that is recommended across the board is Talking with people, create, looking for support networks, looking for support groups. If you don't have support groups or you don't have a mental professional you can talk to, friends are also the first thing you should try to go for. Obviously, try to talk with friends who you have a deep enough connection with that you can have these sort of conversations about. And just take some time to spend with them or with yourself. And just do something fun. Make sure that you don't fall into the self-pitying uh, dark moods that are very easy to fall into in this situation. And that's part of it. And same thing, healthy diet, exercise. Uh, if meditation is your thing, go for it. If journaling's your thing, that can also help. That's also been shown to help people with this condition. And it's not a disease in the traditional sense. So you can get through it. Everyone can get through it. Or at least every, most people should be able to given the right conditions, the support network, the, the time, and a will to do so. Uh, at least that's what I believe, and I don't see a reason why that should not be the case. Yeah, I agree. And, and there's plenty of resources online that help you do these things, helps you like identify um, maybe a new hobby that you haven't done. It also can help you learn about you know, the different symptoms that you might have if you have compassion fatigue. So, um, you know, including like chronic exhaustion, reduced feelings of sympathy, depersonalization, headaches, trouble sleeping, 
uh, poor work-life balance, diminished sense of career fulfillment, you know, problems with your personal relationship. So there's lots of different resources online uh, that I would suggest people who feel like they're suffering from compassion fatigue, they should uh, look into these resources and we'll post some in our in our blog in our blog post um and overall just realize that what you're doing and what you're feeling is normal it's human nature don't feel guilty i think a lot of times people might feel guilty for feeling lack of energy you know they should be you know if you're taking care of your elderly loved one and you feel like you don't want to anymore for because it's taken over your life that's it's a it's it's an interesting situation because you know that it's an important part of your life this person obviously but also you don't want to forget about your own needs and that's I, I think the theme of this conversation is that don't forget about yourself <laughs> and it's very easy to do especially if you have the type of personality where you're more giving and always giving and don't let that hurt you. And for the sake of breadth, I think we always use the, we have been using the example of taking care of an aged parent. And that's the only example we've used so far in this podcast, but for the sake of breadth, there are many other ways to experience compassion fatigue while still not being a a caretaker, a paid caretaker. Many people have children with special needs that require a lot of attention and there are also people who take care of or or are married to people with mental illnesses and often it's easier to experience even more compassion fatigue with someone you love intensely because the it's it takes longer for you to distance yourself or you don't distance yourself from that person. And so the prolonged exposure to an intense level of secondary trauma can be hurtful. Uh, there are also those who have friends who go through these issues or volunteers when uh, you volunteer for the Red Cross. And even those who uh, do get paid, that are caregivers that are paid, some of them even experience shared trauma where they're going through the same collective trauma that their patients or clients are going through. And one example was September 11th. Many of the people coming into the hospitals on September 11th were being treated by doctors who were also in the same geographical vicinity who may not have had anybody hurt, but were experiencing the same societal collective trauma just by knowing that their city was under attack. So there are many different ways to experience compassion fatigue. If you are a parent, that in and of itself can result in compassion fatigue because children do not have emotional regulation. They haven't matured enough. They have a lot of needs. And so caring for being a caring human being in general can result in compassion fatigue. And let's say that you are a healthcare professional and you don't, some of these, the advice that we've talked about, some of the things that we've said, you don't feel applied to you because you don't have an elderly man with dementia at home. Maybe you feel, you know what, it's, for me, it's a job I can make through it. One thing that would, might really help is making sure you have a hobby 
outside of your work. If your work is something that exposes you to compassion fatigue, do not let your work define you because it will consume you if you do. Have something outside that you can feel lets you give you an opportunity to relax and feel either way, either creative or productive or whatever it is that you treasure. Find that hobby and stick to it. Make sure that you keep doing it regardless of what's happening because it will pay dividends and it will help you retain that. I don't want to the word sanity is wrong, but that emotional sanity, if you will, um, much longer than if you just keep plowing along and keep making the job just kind of encroach on your life. Also, I wanted to say when someone asks you how you're doing, you don't always have to say I'm good. I'm all right. How are you? I'm okay. Everything's fine. I'm having a good day. How are you? You know, that's all very programmed inside of us. But I think that's one of the faults of human beings is that we tend to go to the path of least resistance and just not, we don't want to voice our struggles. But I think just the act of voicing our own struggles creates an environment for us to de-stress. And actually, it's probably the most the easiest and the quickest way to relieve yourself of some of the stress is just to say you know what um today's been kind of a crappy day not not really feeling it just uh expressing your you know your problems to somebody else is obviously very very important do you think that creates tertiary fatigue <laughs> good question i mean i guess it depends on the receiver and if the person is you know, actually does care about you in the moment. Uh, it may or may not. I guess it. That's a. It'll at least dilute it. Hopefully. <laughs> Think about it this way. Think about it this way. If one person's carrying a really heavy package, it is much more difficult for that person to carry that heavy package, and they'll probably be exhausted, hurt, and like their back will break. It'll be bad times. If two people are carrying that package, even if one of them's carrying a lot less of the package. Both people may be carrying some weight, but it's a lot better. Now, if 20 people are carrying that package, it's significantly easier. So if you have a big support network you can talk to and kind of get that stress distributed, as you will, your friends won't mind. It's such a small part of their life, and they get to do something that they enjoy, which is helping out a friend. Otherwise, you know, what are friends for? And on the other side... You're you're all ultimately helping to take care of one person who really needs it. And you're doing a really good thing. And if you need, you know what, a little bit of help on the side, who cares? Right. At the end of the day, it's, it's not about helping yourself. It's not about ignoring the other person. It's about helping yourself so that you can help other people. Because otherwise you can't do it. You can't carry that load if your own load is so heavy you're breaking your back. And even like like thirty seconds of listening to somebody or just a smile, you know, as you're walking yeah, along things. or in the elevator or something goes a really long way. You can see when someone is emotionally drained. It's not it's yes. not hard to identify. Yeah. I mean I mean it's not like very clear either. If but you have a coworker that you know is going through a lot, they are exhausted, they are stressed, their life is very difficult, it doesn't take much effort to just grab them a cup of coffee. Right. Say hi engage them you don't have to become besties but just do small things that don't require much of your effort but they'll make their life infinitely better 
it is so easy to overest to underestimate how much of an impact small signs of compassion and caring and love can have on each other's lives. And with that, we're going to sign off for this week. Thank you for listening to us. This has been Positive Feedback Loop. It's always a pleasure to have you. And if you want to have more of us, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes, or visit us on our website at pflpodcast.com. Remember, message us on Facebook or Twitter at the PFL Podcast. And have the most lovely of days. And as always, stay, stay crazy. crazy. <laughs>